So later on today I'm going to be reading to you some of the passages in direct translation by Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim on Tasawwuf. Because that's something now we should return to our subject, right? And the reason I brought this discussion because I wanted you to understand the understanding of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah on this concept of Bid'ah. Because before we proceed further into Tasawwuf and discuss the more particular practices and the specific theories, there is a word called Bid'ah that occurs in the Arabic language and has been used very dramatically uh, and very emphatically, rather is the word I should say, very strongly by the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith. The Arabic word Bid'ah, if you were to look it up in a dictionary, which is what we call the Lohui Ma'na in Arabic, the lexical definition, the lingual definition of a word, Bid'ah simply means something that is new. So that's why sometimes people translate this in English as innovation, right? And again, innovate just means to do something new in the English sense. Just for a moment, what I want you to do for a moment, well here for more than a moment, what I want you to do <laughs> is to, I want you to erase from your mind everything you associate with the word bidah. You know how psychologists play this game and they say a word and they ask you what, so if I say the word bidah, you will suit back shirk. If I say the word bidah, you will say kufr, right? I don't want you to think of it in a negative sense just yet. Just yet. Right now I want you to just think in terms of language. So first the word bidah just means to do anything that is new. To innovate. My glasses are a bidah. And, so, and also, in order to do that, you need to set a departure point. What is it that you're dis- defining as old? So let's say if I take the year 1000. So everything that is new or invented or innovated beyond the year 1000 is a bidah. So my glasses are a bidah, our cars are a bidah, the air conditioner is a bidah. Just in terms of Arabic, I'm not talking sharia. I'm just talking language, right? I'm not talking deen or sharia yet. I'm just talking the Arabic language. All of these things are bidah. Okay. Now let's move into deen and sharia. Sayyidina Rasulullah وسلم, in one of his most famous ahadith uh, has specifically pinpointed a specific type of bidah. Obviously not everything new or innovative is for going to be forbidden in deen and sharia. Lots of human invention, innovation and all of that is allowed. And lots of things that we do new in the deen are allowed. Writing new books are allowed. New tafsirs are allowed. New hadith compilations are allowed. Imam Bukhari heard all those hadith from his teachers. He didn't create those hadith. He compiled them in a new way. Right? His student Imam Tirmidhi compiled hadith yet in another new way. Right? So keep doing new, just doing something new in the deen. That itself is not a problem. So what the Prophet did is he specifically commented on that bidah that is going to be prohibited in the deen. Right? And that's when the Prophet said that every matter that is newly begun in the deen is a bidah. Every bidah is a dalala. Is, is going astray and everything that goes astray leaves a person to the hellfire. Right? Now how does one understand this hadith? If we take it literally, anything that is new, then it means Nurani Qaeda is taking me to hellfire. It means the book Bukhari, I mean, if, I, mean I shouldn't study hadith using Bukhari, because that is a bidah. That book is new. If I take it literally, literally again means according to the lingual lexical definition. That's what literal means in English, Right? To take something strictly and exclusively according to its dictionary definition. Well, then I'm in a lot of trouble. Right? All the tafsirs are bidah. Because, right, what's the origin point? The origin point is the Prophet, right? 
The other example I gave was year 1000. Here is the Prophet So if I pick a tafsir of Qurtubi, what, what he is writing is the meaning of the verse. The Prophet didn't say that. That's Allama Qurtubi telling you that's the tafsir of this verse. I pick up Ibn Kathir. Certainly, they do use some hadith. But other than that, believe me, these tafsirs don't reach 15-20 volumes because they're only collecting hadith. If you want to collect all the hadith on tafsir, it'll take you 100 pages. Look at the Sahih Bukhari Kitab al-Tafsir. It's not more than 50 pages long. That's it. You add a few more hadith on tafsir from all the other books, you can't cross 100 pages. If you want to compile all the hadith, which are tafsir, i.e. all the sayings of the Prophet in which he commented on, explained particular ayat of the Qur'an, you can't cross 100 pages. In fact, Imam Bukhari, you have Bukhari. Imam Bukhari's Kitab al-Tafsir is not even 50 pages. Imam Tirmidhi's is like 20 pages. Right? And there are many repetitions in those hadith. So you're not reaching 20 volumes, 15 volumes, 10 volumes of tafsir through hadith. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on. That would be wonderful one day to sit down and guide you through this world of tafsir and show you on a screen a few pages of every tafsir. You get a feel for what is this thing called tafsir. Right? So all of that would be bidat if I took it literally. It's all bidat because it's all new. New as in, the Prophet didn't say any of those things that Qurtubi, Ibn Kathir, Razi, Zamafshari, Alusi, Tabari, and all these great Mufasrun said. Then I pick up Ibn Hajar Askalani, for example, as commentary in Bukhari. He is telling me what this hadith means. The Prophet never said this hadith meant that. The Prophet just said the hadith. Fatul Bari is 18 volumes. Right? So that's all Ibn Hajar Askalani saying what the hadith means. That's also bidat. If I take it literally, because that's also something new. Ibn Hajar is new. He's after the Prophet's lifetime. Certainly then I take it the books of fiqh. It's the same thing. It's the usul. It's all the same thing. Everything is the same. So obviously we realize now that there's no way this hadith can be taken purely, exclusively, literally. But the Prophet is talking about something. So now when we go to the ulama of hadith and the ulama of fiqh, Right? And the, it's the legal scholars who understand the hadith. Imam al-Tirmidhi has written, in his Sunan al-Tirmidhi, in his hadith book, it's part of the text of his hadith book, he's written, وَالْفُقَهَاهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَعَانِي الْأَحَدِيثِ The fuqaha are a'lam. The scholars of fiqh are a'lam, have more ilm on the ma'ani, on the meanings of hadith. So what have the fuqaha said? And again, we won't even use Hanafi with you. The Shafi jurists, Right? For example, Imam Ibn Iz Abdus Salam has classified bidat in the Sharia in five ways. Bidat in language means one thing, anything that is new and innovative. No way we can understand the hadith using the language definition of bidat because then all of our whole deen is finished. Because me and you have no option but to interface with hadith and Quran through these texts and all of these texts have been written by people other than the Prophet. So, the Shafi Fuqaha, and I will just tell you the Hanafi, Malikis, and Hanbalis all agree with them, but the reference I'm giving you is from a Shafi fiqh, is that there are five types of bidah. Five types of bidah when it pertains to the Sharia. Number one is wajib. That bidah that is absolutely obligatory. The examples they give of that is that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were no harakat on the musaf of the Qur'an. If you ever go see the Musaf Usmani in a Saudi museum and a Turkish museum, you will see no harakat means what you call zabr zirpesh, no fatha zamma kasra. 
but it was added after the time of the Prophet Either it was something new, something new, but to say it was wajib. So they're calling it a bid'at using the lingual sense, right? In terms of the dictionary definition sense, it is bid'at because it's new, but it's wajib. It was obligatory on the ummah to do so because it was necessary to save people from making mistakes in Quranic recitation. Second bid'at they, they describe as mustahab or recommended bid'at. Again, bidat being used in the dictionary definition sense. Not the way me and you understood it, right? Me and you only understand it exclusively negatively. That's coming. I'm coming to that. Bidat understood in the dictionary definition sense just means something new. So, it's recommended to do this new thing in the deen. What is that? They give the example of all of these texts, these syllabi, these compilations, usul, Imam Bukhari sitting down and deciding what's a sahih hadith. All of this stuff is new. It's all new. The dictionary definition applies to all of this. It's all new. But it's recommended. Why is it recommended? Because it enables us to reach and obtain a goal that is outlined in the Quran, Sunnah and Sharia. That is understanding, let's take this example, understanding the Sunnah. So all of the Hadith sciences are all bidah linguistically, they're all new. The Prophet didn't design those Hadith sciences, but they're all recommended in the deen because they enable us to have a more robust, a more thorough, a more accurate a more deep understanding of the hadith. And the Sharia wants that. The deen, that's, that's any deen. That's what the deen wants. Third thing they mention as a permissible bidat. Bidat again being used in the dictionary definition. That is what is new. And that is permissible. The example they give of this is to design your homes in an architectural style that was different from the house of the Prophet in Medina Manawara. Or to design your masjids in an architectural style that is different from Masjid Nabwi. Something new, right? When you built a masjid, that's part of your deen, and you design it differently in a new way, in a way that was never designed by the Prophet So they say to Jais, it's permissible. Fourth way, they use bidat is disliked. Makru bidat. That bidat that is makru. Bidat again, dictionary of nothing which is new, but is disliked. The example of that they give is that if you... So there are several examples they've given. I think the easiest one to give you since we use the masjid example is to build very ornate and expensive masajid. This is other than haram and sharifin. Because that can be done with the niyat of ta'zim of sha'a'irullah. Because Makkah, Mukarramah, Medina, Manawara are amongst the sha'a'irullah. But other than that, let's say in Riyaz or let's say in, in Karachi or wherever it is, any country, Kuala Lumpur, to make an extremely expensive masjid. Expensive means gold and I don't know what, right? And the reason that it's disliked is that because the ummah has greater priorities. The Palestinians need that money, right? Uh, they're oppressed Muslims, poor Muslims, impoverished Somali Muslims who would be better off from that money. The reason it's not haram is that because whoever built that masjid with their own money if it's money that they earn through halal means, they're free to do the sharia allowed them to do whatever they want with it. Technically, if, if I had, I don't, but if I had $100 million and I want to build a masjid and use all $100 million to build that, it wouldn't be haram for me to do that. Because it's my money. And I'm not doing anything that's haram. Right? But it's considered disliked because it goes against the greater priorities of the sharia. And it's something new. Right? That the earlier Muslims had a better sense and balance of their priorities. And the fifth type of bidat is the haram bidat. 
that bidat in the dictionary definition sense, that thing that is new in the deen, that is haram. And the definition of that is not that it's not found in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, because all of the four things above were also not found in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. It's a mistake. Some of us think bidat means that ma sabata, how explains it? Juruj sabit nayi, that which is not sabit from the Prophet ﷺ. No. The wajib bidat is also not sabit from the Prophet ﷺ. The mustahab bidat is also not sabit from the Prophet ﷺ. So what is haram bidat? That which is khilaf al-shara'at. Khilaf al-Sharia Against the Quran and Sunnah That is the definition of bidat That the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamal have To do something That is against the Quran and Sunnah In the deen To do something new Inside the deen That is against the Quran and Sunnah Khilaf al-Sharia That is what they call the haram bidat So the way they understand the hadith then Is that everything that is done new in the deen that goes against the Qur'an and Sunnah, is a dhalala, is going astray, and every dhalala goes to the hellfire. 